You are listening to a podcast from C3 Church Wallandilly. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash C3 Wallandilly. Culture kind of holds that up as like a badge of honour. Hey, I've got all this leave outstanding to me because I'm such a hard worker. And, you know, I've currently, I've worked out mine this well, I'm currently sitting at, at five weeks of annual leave. Now, to be fair in my own defence, that's because I've been employed for 19 years, so I've used, a, I've got a bit of long service leave owing, so I've been able to stretch that out. But we, our, our culture holds that up as so that's some badge of honour. And really, it's not. It's really not. It's, it's not a sign of a healthy culture. And, uh, and so this morning, as we were in this holiday season, and I realized that we're not all on holidays, but I, I thought it would be a good time just to share a mixture of a, a theological and a practical message that I believe is, is good for us to take stock of at this time of year, and just to see where we might sit as we head into 2020, and you make plans for 2020. Because if you take the, the overall arching story of the Bible with regard to employment and work and so on, I think you would find that there would be at least as much, if not more, that the Bible says warning against overwork as it is warning against the dangers of underwork, of laziness. And I think that's quite indicative of our culture. Sure, there's, everyone knows someone who's lazy and won't get off their, job, their backside, but the vast majority of people in Australia, we, our culture honours this hyper-work ethic. And, and I don't know that it's necessarily a healthy thing. And so this morning, I wanted to talk to that a little bit and, and discuss that from the perspective of, of, as we frame up 2020, as you're looking at your 2020 calendar, thinking about this and going, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that I maintain a healthy balance in, in, my, in my life? And so I thought what I might do is I might read this article that I found, which came out this time last year on news.com. This was following the Australia Day long weekend last, week, last year, and I thought this was an interesting article that sets the, sets the tone of what I'm talking about. The Australia Day long weekend may not have felt like much of a break, but for a growing number of full-time workers, two or three days out of the office is more than enough time for a holiday, so they say. According to the new research by Expedia, when it comes to taking annual leave, Australians are taking less and less of it each year. The study of 11,144 respondents, for those that understand survey, that's a pretty decent survey pool to work with. The study of 11,144 respondents revealed that workers are opting for a weekend away instead of taking several weeks off, with one in six Aussies failing to take a single day of leave in 2018. One in six, not taking a day's leave. And while we typically love to travel abroad, Australia has become the third worst nation in the world for taking annual leave, putting us behind only Japan and Italy. I've known some Koreans, and they work hard. It amazes me that Australia is ahead of some of those Asian countries, or behind in this sense. The Survey of Working Australians looks at our annual leave habits and motivations and exposed us as a nation of workaholics. According to their annual report of respondents titled Vacation Deprivation, the the average Aussie takes only 14 of their 20 days of annual leave each year, with six failed to to be used. It signifies a downward trend over the past 10 years In 2009, Aussies only left 3.5 days unused. So the trend is getting worse. The trend is that as time goes on, we are using less leave for for a whole host of reasons. And so I thought with that in mind, this might be 
time just to think this through and think through the implications of this because our society just imposes all kinds of pressures upon us. Let's, let's uh, not let society dictate to us. Let's let Scripture dictate to us. So I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody here this morning because I've got too much leave. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm preaching to myself and going, okay, you need to be a bit more uh, diligent and make sure that we, we do take our breaks as well. So when it, comes to, when it comes to the Bible, all the way through the Bible, we see that there's, there's a grand narrative. In fact, I want to challenge anybody. If, if, who would be, who'd be courageous enough to say that they've never read the Bible from the beginning to the end? Put your hand up if that's you. If you've never read it from the beginning to the end, there's quite a few of you. I would expect so. Do you know that statistically, only 10% of people will read the Bible from the beginning to end in their lifetime, which actually means you guys are way ahead of the curve. I'm talking about Christians here. 10% of Christians will read the Bible from beginning to end in their lifetime. So if you've done that, you're in the top 10% of people who've done that. So the Bible is written as a narrative. And, and I want to kind of issue a bit of a challenge to you this year, just to think this through. I'm calling this the 2020-15-15 challenge. The 2020-15-15 challenge. So I've been doing some maths in my head and working this out. And, uh, and if you will allocate 15, an average of 15 minutes a day to reading the Scriptures, or more specifically, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, picking a version that actually reads to you, and have it read to you. If you will allocate 15 minutes at 1.5 speed, before you all freak out and say, I can't listen to 1.5 speed, 1.5 speed is the same speed I'm speaking now. It's conversational speed, okay? Because they always slow it right down. So if you will allocate 15 minutes at 1.5, that's a 15, 15. In 2020, that's a 2020. You will get through the Bible. You'll be sitting here next year, and you'll be able to say, yes, I've been through the Bible in a whole year. I think it's worth having a go. 15 minutes, and then you can do 15 minutes in the car, you can do 15 minutes before you get out of bed. You can do 15 minutes while you're making yourself a cup of coffee with your headphones in. 15 minutes is not, you don't have to, I'm not even saying you need to dedicate 15 minutes just to that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't study the Bible. Don't get upset with pastor because, oh, but you need to study. Yes, you need to study the scripture as well. But as a pastor, I'm, I'm a pragmatist as well. And I think, look, if people are going to do anything, I'd rather you spend 15 minutes just listening than doing nothing because you haven't had time to sit down and study. Anything is better than nothing. And so if you to take 15 minutes, Flick it on to 1.5 speed, just flick it on and just listen to it. You will be, you'll sit here this time next year and you'll, you'll be in that 10%. You'll say, wow, I've been through the whole Bible. Now, what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit is, while it's good to study in depth, the Bible is a grand narrative. It, is, it tells a single story from the first page to the last page. It's a grand narrative. And when you read or listen to the Bible as a narrative in its, in its form like that, where you do it in a, in a quick succession, you will get an overview of the story of the Scripture that then sheds much more light onto the Scripture when you're studying one or two verses at a time because you understand where it fits into the big picture. And so I would encourage you to do that because some of the, what I'm going to show you in the next few minutes is, is about that, this, this story of the Bible. God tells his story. History is his story. He tells his story through the story of the scriptures, through the story of Israel, through the story of the church. And he uses human interactions to, to demonstrate his will to the earth, if you like. And in these next few minutes, I'm going to show you one of the ways that God does that in a way that actually has practical and important practical implications for us as uh, people living on the planet, but also talks about God's plan for our life. And this is what I call the pattern of stops or the pattern of rests. There are lots of patterns uh, in the Scripture, and one of those is the pattern of stops. God has instigated into his grand story narrative 
a subplot, a sub-theme of stops, of rests. And this plays, up over, it plays out and rolls out throughout the Scripture multiple times. And so I want to touch on briefly that. And then say, well, what does that have to do with taking holidays? You're going to see before we finish that it does have something to do with taking holidays. Just before, I, just before we move on, did you guys, have you checked that you've got my slide? You got my slide in there? Good to go. Thanks, Nathan. I just thought I'd make sure so we don't, we're ready to go when we get there. So what does stopping have to do? Well, this pattern of stops or rests, it, it occurs multiple times. So we actually see that the pattern of stopping is something that God has instigated into the way he expects humans to live. And the reason is this, in a nutshell. The reason is that when we stop, when we rest, it illustrates a trust in God. It illustrates a trust that God is our provider, that God will take care of us. Because let's be honest, I know for myself, when I don't stop, it's because I've overinflated my own importance. I thought I'm too important to stop. Or I don't trust God to take care of me enough, so I need to work to earn money, or I need to do this or that. And all the way through, the subplot of stopping or resting is God shouting at us saying, who do you trust with your life? Do you trust me that I will take care of you? Or do you think that you are responsible for taking care of yourself. That is what the pattern, anytime you refer to any of these stops, you see these in scripture, I want you, when you see these, to take a step back and think, what's God saying to me about, do I trust him with my life? So we see some patterns of stop or trust. The very first one, actually, we see, and we've referred to this numbers of times throughout this year, we actually see this, it's, it's a little bit, it's not actually about stopping in time, but it's about stopping doing something. And this is the pattern that we talk about, the Garden of Eve narrative. And so God said to Adam and Eve, you can have all of this, you just can't have this. I want you to be blessed by all of that. I'll look after you. I'll provide for you. I just don't want you to have that. Adam and Eve and all of us took that. We go, no, 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 I don't trust God enough I'm going to take that. We saw this <coughs> played out with our granddaughter. We had a roll of really nice wrapping paper in our room, long one of those tall, long rolls that was left over after Christmas, right? So she decides she wants to unwrap the wrapping paper. So she takes off a big section of it about a meter and a half long. So we ripped it off for her. And we said to her, here, Essie, you can have that. We put the roll away. Guess what she wanted? She wanted the one that she couldn't have. I said, I said to my daughter, I said, see, that's, that's the sin nature right there. That is in a nutshell. You can have all of this paper, but you want that one. That is human nature. We want what we can't have. We think we know best. So we see it start there. That narrative about, hey, do you trust me, Adam and Eve? No, they don't. We still do that. So then God is, begins to, because of that, lack of trust, God begins to instigate into the way his nation of Israel runs a whole lot of stops, a whole lot of rests for this purpose of saying, who do you trust? And so we have a few of them. We have the Sabbath rest. Once every seven days, they were to stop. The word Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew actually just means stop. That's what it means, to actually stop your regular work. So you'll see it translated as to cease from regular work, from whatever you normally do. Basically, it's stop from the thing that normally generates your income, that normally generates your livelihood. Stop 
and trust me. That's what the Sabbath is all about. It's saying, I'm actually giving up one-seventh of my potential to earn income. Who would like to have an extra seventh of income than they normally have right now? I think most of us would. But Sabbath says, no, 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 trust me. I'll look after you. I want you to live in a society, in a world where my goodness is enough for you, where my grace is enough for you. So the Sabbath is about stopping and trusting. Once every seven years, it gets better. They were commanded not to farm the ground, to give the entire farmland a year of rest. Now, if you are an agriculturalist and you have a farm and you're not allowed to harvest any crop from that farm for one year, how many people know that's trust? That's trust. In fact, it's linked to trust. God says, if you will trust me with this, I will make sure that your crop in the sixth year is so great that when you're harvesting in the ninth year from your eighth year harvest, you'll still have crop from the sixth year. It's trust. Stopping is about trust. Once every 50 years, seven groups of seven years, they would have, I talked about this during our Christmas season, they would have what was called a jubilee year, a year of favor, where every 50th year, all the land went back to its traditional owners. So no one ever actually owned land. They kind of leased it for a period of time. So if you fell on hard times you, and you had to sell your land, after the 50th year, your family would get that land back. It is an amazing economic system. It's, uh, it certainly wouldn't work in Western capitalist culture. In fact, there's no evidence that it actually even worked. There's no, there's no evidence in the Jewish culture they even did it even once. Even though it was in their law, there's no evidence that they even did it because of human nature. I don't trust that if I give up my land back to someone that I've worked for for the last 33 years, I don't trust enough that God will look after me if I look after the poor. It's about trust when we're generous. When, see, Giving up and stopping is actually about generosity as much as anything. I trust. The concept of tithing, it's about trust. Who do you trust with your wealth? The Jews were commanded to give a tithe, and it's linked over and over again to trust. Stopping, trusting God. I'm getting the point across. If you remember nothing else, you'll remember stop and trust, won't you? The last one I want to look at before we get on to my holiday tips is the holidays, the holy days. Did you know that our word holiday comes from the word holy days? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Where it comes from? Holy days. Now, as well as all these other stops, in the national nation of Israel and God's story about humanity, he set up a number of holy days or holidays. There were actually three periods of time. Coincidentally, those three periods of holy feast periods of time actually equate to somewhere between four and five weeks a year. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So our, our, I know that there are exceptions to the rule, but our general Western society is built on Judeo-Christian principles, and they've pulled out of that somewhere between four to five weeks of annual leave. And so that's where it comes from. So God set up three periods of time. In fact, he, there's seven feasts spread over three periods of time, feasts or festivals or holy days. And each of these groups of three festivals actually tells a story. So even though they're part of what would happen in Jewish society, they're all part of the grand narrative that talk about Jesus. So let me, before we get into each of the narratives, let's, this is where the theology will be interesting this morning, but before we do, let's look at how it was designed to work. So three times a year, the plan was that wherever the people of Israel were living within Israel, that they would pack up, take their families, and go to Jerusalem. 
And there they would celebrate together and have a holy feast and worship God together and have time off from regular work. And here's the bit that I didn't actually see in the scriptures until years ago. God said to them, if you will trust me enough to leave your farms and go to Jerusalem with your family, I will make sure that raiders do not come in and affect your farms. I will make sure there is enough grain, water on your farms, and so on, to protect them so that they will have a crop. Once again, it's about trust. Oh, we can't leave our our farms unattended. There's nomadic tribes all around. And God says, will you trust me? Will you trust that I will take care of it all? Just give me that period of time. If you will keep that as sacred for me, I will take care of everything else. So you can see that this concept of stopping and, and holidays is actually very important. It's linked to something of what God is wanting to do in us. So let me just give you a bit of an overview of the seven feasts very quickly. But they're all related to stopping, traveling to Jerusalem, and trusting that God will take care of them as they worship. So feast number one, holy, holy day number one, is the Passover festival. It's a special meal that was eaten to commemorate the exodus from Egypt. And each of these seven feasts amazingly point. They tell, remember I said they tell part of the story? They actually tell specifically about Jesus. Every seven feast, every, each of the seven feasts is pointing forward to Jesus in some way. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when did Jesus die? On Passover. He was the Passover Lamb. So Jesus is the fulfillment of what this feast was all about. But for, for a thousand years, they had traveled and celebrated the Passover together, this special meal that they would eat. And so after the Passover, while they're still there, they would have a seven-day feast called up the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there was no yeast to be found in their homes. Now, I haven't got all the time this morning. I'm not going to dig into all the theology of this. You can do that in your own time if you're interested. But they had a seven-day feast. In the middle of that feast, on the third day after Passover, they, they celebrated what was called the Feast of First Fruits. And so in this seven days, they have a week's leave plus travel time here or there either way, and they're celebrating God and they're honoring God. Now, every one of those first three feasts, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits in that seven days, they are the first, first feasts of the year in the Jewish calendar, and every one of those is fulfilled and points to Jesus' first coming to earth when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. About 50 days after that, they have a feast called the Feast of Pentecost. So about six weeks or so after the first one, there's another feast. And in this feast, the Feast of Pentecost, there's a few rules are different. They are allowed to eat yeast. They, it's the only one of the, all the seven where they can actually eat yeast. And it, it, tradition is, hell, tells us that it was on this, the day of the Feast of Pentecost that the law was given to Moses the, the rabbis believed that it was on that day that the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai with fire on the mountain. It was also the same day, 50 days after Jesus' death, when the fire of heaven came down upon the church. There's a link. So the, the Feast of Pentecost speaks about the church age. Isn't it interesting? You've got the first coming of Jesus, you've got the period of the church, and then there's three feasts at the end. You ready for what those three feasts are? The three feasts at the end are the Feast of Trumpets, all happened together, the Feast of Trumpets. And the Bible talks about Jesus coming back at the last trumpet. Talks about the angels heralding Jesus' second return when, he, when that comes in the future. The Feast of Trumpets will mark the beginning. It's the period of marking the beginning of a different harvest. Jesus is returning to earth. That's what it's 
speaking about. The Day of Atonement takes place. This is the most sacred day in the Jewish calendar. In fact, even today, large parts of Israel are incredibly secular, but they still, this is the one day of the year where they still shut everything down. Businesses aren't open, everything closes. The feast, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they call it. Such a holy day, such an important day. And it was in this day that they, they actually transferred their sins, and their sins were taken away, figuratively speaking, on, onto the scapegoat. And, uh, and so it was a very important day. It was God telling the story of there will come a day when all your sins will be taken away. It was followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, all in one period of time, three feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in the Feast of Tabernacles, all the Jews would come to Jerusalem, and it was a giant camping trip is what it was. Not the kind of camping that you, you and I would go for. Uh, most of us don't want holes in our tent when we go camping, yeah? You, you want to make sure that your, your tent is pretty secure from the rain. Well, in this camping trip, they actually were commanded to make sure that they left holes in the roof of their camp because it reminded them of the 40 years that they had lived in the desert. And still today, I've never been to Israel on the Feast of Tabernacles, but you can Google it. I've had spoken to people who have. It's incredible. They all set up tents. They all set up shelters all around Jerusalem, on the hills of Jerusalem, and they get branches, and they put them <coughs> um, up. And for seven days, their families sleep under these, in these lean-tos, for want of a better term. And they deliberately leave gaps in the roof. And it rains at that time of the year as well. So why do they do that? Well, it doesn't sound like my ideal camping trip, although every time I do go camping, it nearly always rains. But... But it doesn't sound like my ideal trip, but they did that to remind them of God's goodness and protection and provision for them. It's this way of saying, I don't need to build my own shelter because he is my shelter. It's trust. So all of these pictures are about trust. And it's this final one, the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, that Jesus chose as the day he would stand up at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last day of the feast, it says in John chapter 7, he stood up and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink because I will bring refreshment. Jesus chose that significant moment at the end of the Jewish calendar of feasts and festivals and stopping to tell the crowds that true refreshment is not found in the holy day it is found in the one that the holy day represents. He says, if you will trust me, I will give you the water of life and streams of living water will run out of you. The whole narrative of stopping is about trusting that God is our provider, that God is our refresher, that no matter what we face in life, he will protect us. So here's God's intention for holy, for holy days. God's intention for holy days. The first thing, I would say is it's worship and reflection. It's an opportunity. Whether your holiday is now or later in the year, whatever it might be, holidays are first and foremost an opportunity to slow down, to stop ordinary work and reflect. You can do this on your day off as well. If you don't have a day off, you need to have one, at least one. All right? Slow down, stop and reflect. It's a time for worship and reflection. Just like it was in the Old Testament, it's also a time to be with family and friends. God's into relationships. They would travel as families to Jerusalem. We saw this in the Christmas story. Remember they traveled, they lost Jesus? Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. It was a, what happened was that they left him in the temple. They traveled for a day. Then that night, they realized Jesus wasn't with him. Why would they take all night to realize, till the night to realize he wasn't with him? Because they traveled as groups. 
They probably thought, oh, he's with Uncle, Uncle John. That's what they would have done. They traveled as family. They did holidays together. They get there to the tent. They set up tent, and Jesus is not there. I've lost God. That's pretty scary, isn't it? So <clears throat> back she travels for another day, and then a day later, after looking around Jerusalem, they find him. So that's the three days. So they traveled as holidays. They did holidays together. Who, who has family traditions with, holiday, with, with your holidays with your family? Some of us have got traditions with our family at Christmas time that we don't even talk to our family the rest of the year, but for some reason we all get thrown together on Christmas Day and we're expected to get along. You can choose your friends, you can't always choose your family. It's also time out for refreshment from the, I call it the humdrum of life. Can we grab the keys if that's right, or guitar, whoever's playing, just some music for a sec. You know, our society and our Instagram culture it promotes and magnifies the, the ideal life. Have you ever noticed? I was listening to some stats this week on a podcast that said that there's a direct link between the depression rates and the suicide rates among young people, and the, you can track suicide rates up as Instagram popularity has gone up. Why is that? Because there's this ideal I love, I love the way Pastor Stephen Furtick, he says, anytime you look at social media, you're comparing your bloopers reel with everybody else's highlight reel. Because of that, you think, oh, I'll never, I'll never add up, I'll never match up, I'm, I'm never good enough. But here's the fact, friends. And the Scriptures are clear on this. Most of life is a humdrum. That's not a bad thing. We live with this mentality that, oh, life's got to be so up and full on and exciting all the time. The fact is, most of life is get up, go to work, come home. And that's okay. Ecclesiastes talks about hard work is good. So the stopping, whether that's for one day a week, whether that's for one year in seven or whatever it might be, that stopping is supposed to be just take some time out from the humdrum. It's okay to spend most of your time doing that, but you can't do it all the time. You need to stop. Much, much of it's just consistent work and monotonous. The tension leads to two extremes, both of which can be wrong. People will work themselves into the ground as workaholics. And that can even be spiritualized. Oh, I'm too busy, God. I'm too important to God. I need to work hard. I mean, Karen's nodding because she's been in Christian ministry. You know, this, this pressure, oh, I need to do this. I need to work. I need to work. I'm doing it for God and all that sort of stuff. What a load of rubbish. I remember my Bible college teacher, Ken Chant, saying years ago, he says, if God really wanted you to work that much, he wouldn't have created you to sleep. Simple truth. If ever you need to know that your body was designed to sleep, it's right. The fact that, that stop, to stop is the fact that God has wired into us the need to sleep. We're not that important in the grand scheme of life. God wants you to enjoy life as well. So you can even spiritualize work. So that's the one extreme. People never take a holiday. The other extreme, which I think is equally dangerous, is that people frame up their holidays the wrong way. And if you get nothing else out of this today, I want you to remember this as we close. People frame up their holiday as if to say, I need this to escape from life. Now, it seems subtle, but it's really important. There's a very big difference between escaping from life and refreshing for life. One says... That life, I don't like that. I just live for my holidays. The other one says, I'm going to enjoy my holidays so that when I go back to my life, I'm going to be refreshed. A big difference between escaping from life and refreshing for life. So 
I've put Pastor Rowan's holiday tips together for you. We'll put those up on the screen. Pastor Rowan's six holiday tips. Sum up of what I've just said. It's not really a holiday from God. He's the one who will bring you the refreshment. This is important for pastors because our job is God, kind of, if you know what I mean. But it's really important that we don't take time out from what we do. It's not a holiday from God. Try not to take your work with you. This goes for your day off as well. It's really hard with a phone in your hand. Put your phone on do not disturb. Try not to take your work with you. Otherwise, you haven't had a day off. Hang out with friends and family. Enjoy barbecues, beach, movies, coffee, etc. I went and saw Star Wars on my own this week. I love seeing movies on my own. My kids will go to the beach, so I said, well, okay, you go to the beach, I'm going to Star Wars. Just take time out to enjoy life. Pastor John Finkelty, many of you know, we've got a pastor's WhatsApp group, and he keeps sending us photos of him sitting by the beach with a coffee, and all you see is the coffee in the beach. And he's on holidays at the moment. He's loving every minute of it. So it's like every coffee shop he's been to, it's like a coffee shop crawl. And he's just enjoying himself. Take time out. Read a book that's not work-related. You might like to try some fiction if you never read a book. If you, don't, if you don't read, you can listen to a book. Try camping. You might even surprise yourself. Discover that you enjoy it. It is possible to enjoy camping. It's funny. You know, we, we couldn't afford to. When we, were, we had a young family, we used to take them camping all the time because we couldn't afford accommodation. Now the kids want us to go camping, and we go, no, no, no. We've had our time camping. Now we're going to. Exactly. When you finally can afford it, it's not when you need it. But, but, it was, but that's the way. But I do like camping. But I actually said to my kids the other day, I said, I'll tell you what, I've got a deal for you. I will show up when the tent is set up and I will come camping. You guys take care of... Because I've had my time setting up the tent while the babies are in the bouncers and, and rockers. But try camping. Go camping. It's great fun. Get outside. And here's this final one I said. Get the right perspective. Holidays are refreshment and recharging, not escaping. Thanks for listening today. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash c3wallandilly.